Okay, uh, hello to our listeners. Welcome to TNT ESQ, along with my co-host, Theresa Quinlan. Uh, I'm Rhys Thomas, and we make up TNT. Uh, we're here to explode the status quo. The series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so that we can start doing differently. Uh, our guest today is someone very special to both our hearts, uh, Mr. Gary Turner. Welcome. <laughs> thank you so much. No, honestly, it, it's, it's the, thank you for the invite, and it's very bizarre to be this side of the microphone. <laughs> well, we'll get used to it. Uh, <laughs> Gary is the creator of the Listening Organization, uh, a human-centered people consultancy, host of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. Uh, he is driven by his personal purpose of helping create and facilitate safe spaces that help unleash human potential. Welcome, Gary. This is going to be an explosive chat. I just know it. Uh, we were so happy to have you here. And uh, how are you feeling on the nervous. other side of the microphone? Yeah, really nervous in a sort of quite fun, excited way. So like, <laughs> I talk about vulnerability. This really is it. Two, two awesome humans on the other side of the screen leading me for a change. So no, thank you really for the opportunity. Very excited. We love this ability to have three in a conversation because you never know where it could go. Having more perspectives and more opportunities to explore people's experiences. We're really excited. And especially having an experienced podcast host join us as well. It always brings a little extra nuance to it. And uh, uh, yeah, so let, let's kick off. As you know, we always ask a question about your obsession. So this is your passion. This is obsession in a good way. So you could say you've been obsessed and, and intentional on your own personal breakthrough journey. Your work in this area is about creating the safe spaces which help people realize their fullest potential in the most optimal way. Behind every individual's purpose is a story. We love to share that story. So we'd ask you to give us a bit of a rundown of how this journey began, if you will. The big thing for me, and I, this only came to me actually on our pre-conversation. So when we had our little catch up, you helped me. You both held up the mirror wonderfully. And I suddenly went, oh, the fact I was bullied age 12, 13, psychologically and physically, is that part of my trigger for wanting to create these safe spaces? Now, is it causal? Is it correlation? Sort of doesn't matter. But that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, I think that is part of the fuel race, to be honest. And it's not always been a conscious fuel, but that's part of the early stage journey. And then I you know, went through the university years didn't really deal with any of that as we don't because we've not been taught how to process our emotions that they're okay they're just data points so I spent the next 20 years locking it away behind my mind uh, well next 25 years until literally um, last year so February last year I paid for six hours of professional coaching that coach helped me see the emotional suppression that I had been managing inverted commas which because during that journey as well there was self-harming there was drug use, there was burning myself out a few years ago. Now, none of those things sort of define who I am as Gary. So they're all things that I believe would socially make me look a bad human being. And as a, as a white male, we cannot, you know, we're taught not to show that stuff. So that's the really sort of narrow version. I'll let you unpick that if you'd like. <laughs> I love that you call emotions like data points. I also love that you sort of hint to the fact that when you start your journey, there are layers that you will need to uncover. It doesn't all come to you at one time. Do you remember sort of what came to you first? That's a wonderful question, Theresa, really. Um, 
So what happened for me, if I go back five years, there was a first what I would call the wait, the awakening. I've never had a midlife crisis. Like this is the thing I'm really proud to say. Although I'd love to have my Audi R8 one day. Um, that's still on the list of things. Not very sustainable. It needs to be electric, um, but it's still on there. But I hit the age of 39, you know, four or five years ago. And I had the nice car. I had the job title. I had the salary that I strive for. I had everything that the outside world had educated me to believe mattered. Mm. And I felt hollow. I felt literally empty. And I didn't know at the time what that was, but as literally my soul was aching. There was nothing meaningful. I had a great relationship, great family. That's not the point. But inside of me, as in Gary Turner, soul, just hollow, completely and utterly hollow. But until I'd... Until I had everything within my grasp that I'd been socialized to believe mattered, I couldn't realize that that feeling was my soul saying, Gary, this is not enough. Like you've been focusing on just material items outside of you and you've used that as a way to escape those inner demons that you've not been confident or had the courage to face. So that was the first one. That was really the first step in that awakening a few years ago. And how has the journey progressed since then? I mean, we talk a lot about filling our own cup. I mean, it sounds like you had a real sort of unburdening and an, an, an emptying, if you like, of all those things that perhaps other people had put inside your cup for you to give you that full perception that other people from the outside could see, oh, Gary's doing well, he's got everything, his cup's fine, he's happy. But inside, Gary was not happy. How, are you, how have you gone from that first step? And are you, is your cup brimming now? You're always smiling, so um, I'm guessing maybe it is. Hoping it is. Well, I appreciate the question, Reese. Do you know something? I think to, to give a bit more context, what's interesting, and I pre again, that's why I appreciate being this side of the, the microphone sometimes, is so if you go back five years, that's the start of the awakening. However, between then and last February, there was this three-year window of evolution, is probably what I would call it, where I immersed myself in learning and development, organisational design, became a chartered member of the Arquin of Schirm in Europe, the CIPD. So I got all peopled up, qualified within the business. I started to introduce L&D solutions, done some great OD work. But after three years, like, that was fine. But it's almost like that was just scratching the itch. That was like a sticky plaster over the fear, the anxiety, the worry about still not dealing with that stuff. Yeah. So I, so I sort of, I, I did fill up my cup quite a lot but i call it like temporary i think the cup had a massive hole in it so i use the analogy of like a leaky bucket so i was chucking so much more in the top that i didn't feel bad as that other stuff fell through the bottom but the big shift for me was last february so really i would say the maturity of my waking up inverted commas was from february when i had that coaching because that then allowed me to join the dots and go oh okay so yeah i now understand that my emotions are just data points that i was filling my cup with things just to make me feel better but but if I realize actually my self-worth is what matters and that I am good enough and that I don't need to believe those stories I was telling myself then I don't need to keep filling my cup with stuff I can just be me and that's been a, that's where I've been the last 18 months is starting to be me rather than be what I think others need me to be that's so interesting because I think a lot of people currently struggle with that sense of hollowness. Some people will even in the workplace call it imposter syndrome. I'm in a role right now and I don't really believe I should be here for whatever reason that is, even if they've had all of the correct steps 
that mm. one would say logically would take you from employee entry level to now you know a team leader to a manager to a director to a vp so on and so forth right and when we refuse to look seriously at what is meaningful to us and remain independent from what other people want for us or believe we should have we will continue to seek out things that we think are filling our cup, even if they might be things that we're passionate and interested in. So in essence, I'm hearing you say that I knew that there was something. And so I went after things that I was interested in and continued to fill my cup. In essence, I behaved in the exact same way, just sort of on a different topic, mm. but not the right topic. How do, and so what happened in the coaching session that made you go, oh, that's not the right topic? What my coach did, she actually, just mapped out because she's done a bit of psychotherapy and other things. And we didn't go into any of that sort of hypnotherapy or psychotherapy. It wasn't about that. I had basically three hour coaching sessions. Then, a, then I called a strategy day, which was three, three hours of going deep dive. Okay. What's your journey been? What are you trying to be? How are you trying to show up? And it was during that three hour strategy session that I, that I saw the map. So we literally jotted, okay, age 11, 12, 13, bullied. And you could literally just see on a piece of paper, like the most powerful A3 exercise you could ever do in your life, in my opinion, is to map out your journey and just see those. Like, like we talk about employee experience. We talk about customer experience. What about my human experience? Literally just map out your experience and those emotional touch points when you either stepped into your power or you didn't. And what does that look like for you? Because that's what we did. And it's coming out of that and looking on this A3 people paper and going, oh, at every point that I had an emotional reaction and I didn't feel it, I ran from it. Like you could just see that on this A3 piece of paper. And then at that point, that was literally like the door, honestly, it was literally the door just going, it wasn't a come to Jesus moment, but it was just this real calm presence of, oh wow, I really don't need to carry this emotional backpack around. Took it off my shoulders, put it down, and I've never been back there since. I have my ups and downs like all of us do. Mm -hmm. But that day was literally the most calm, present, why am I doing this to myself? Not you, Teresa, not you, Reese. me. Why am I doing this to me? Because no one else is doing it. And I think that was the massive realization was I'm doing this to myself. So why, why carry on carrying that emotional backpack around? Such a valuable question to ask ourselves why. Hmm. And what did this translate to into your personal life and your business life? Because I know that you're doing some amazing things now, which we'll maybe get to in a minute, but having that awakening is obviously it's about you initially and you having that realization but once you've gone through the self bit you then see how that can affect your wife your family and then now finding your purpose in, in the business that you're doing so talk us through those next six months of where you've been like oh my gosh I've realized what it is there's so much potential the door the many doors the windows everything's open I'm rushing through how did you translate that change into something so purposeful that is what you're doing now yeah, there's a lot of meandering between that point, February of last year, and where I am today. But I think if I summarised it in a few steps, one of them was dealing with my fears head on. Um, so I had some support with that through an organisation, World Blue. You've met Miranda Ash, who mm -hmm. comes on some of the Human's First calls. So she works with Tracy at um, World Blue, and they do this thing around the power question. So what would you do if you weren't afraid? They do a lot of coaching around that question. And I was, I was the guinea pig in front of 45 other human beings. For whatever reason, Tracy looked at the energy in me and went, right, you need to sit, in the, sit on the hot seat. 
and for whatever reason, she took me through that question or the, the three questions that lead to that and then the two after that. And I think this is an interesting point. So being open, being ready to be vulnerable is one thing, but doing that as like a blank canvas and not knowing what's coming next was quite weird because like, although I wasn't scared or afraid of it per se, I also didn't have anything to compare it to. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so that was sort of like the steps I dealt with the fear. Then I understood about how mind conscious thought operates last August. And then for, since then, they're the two, two big pivots for me. And then also done a bit of work as well with um, uh, Nilla for Merchant as well, the ex-Apple executive. So it's all sort of been three key periods between February and right now, but a lot of meandering in between that as well. But I think the key message for me is, if anyone, any of your viewers, your listeners, your audience is, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. You know, I've not been asked to say this on this podcast, but had I not invested in me mm. and believed I was good enough to invest in, like if we wait for the organization or we wait for someone else, we'll never do it. And I invested over 20,000 pounds over two years. Now, I'm not saying that lightly. Like, I'm not saying go and wax your credit cards, but I'm saying if you want to step into your power and get out of your own way, you might need to do that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I do have done the investment thing. You can't, I don't know if it's possible to do it without really, let's just say that. I have a question for you. So thank you for sharing that journey. And what I find really fascinating when people have gone through their journey, their development, their exploration, their breakthroughs is then they have great insights to be able to share with other people. And one of the things that I'm hearing is a lot of times we're ruled logically. We're cerebrally trying to figure it out. Instead, we need to get rid of the good old brain driving the truck and we have to take a step back and pay a little bit more attention to our emotional states and our emotional information, understanding where those things come from and getting to the bottom of those types of things. Why do you think people choose to carry the emotional backpack instead of putting it down? I, for me, it's 100% that word again, fear, Teresa, for me. And I think it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of not being good enough. It's fear that I don't know what that feeling even means. I've not been taught. I don't know my friends, my family have never spoken about feelings before. So I think there's just this massive socialized element, whether it's school, whether it's family, whether it's your network, your friends. There's just never been that, in my opinion. There's never been a structured, it's okay to feel. Or actually, if you're feeling something, just take 10 minutes and just try and work out for yourself what that is. There's no right, wrong or judgment in it. Just feel it. That's never been, that's not even anything in my parlance until the last six months. I would not have even thought that feeling you're feeling was something to do. Mm. So I think fear overarching above everything else, Teresa, for me, is the thing that gets in the way. Mm -hmm. I think too I think that, that there are, sorry, Reese. there's also the element of it serves you in some way. It also provides for you in some way that emotional baggage that we carry or whatever baggage we're putting in our backpack. We can often decide to carry it because there's a, it's serving a purpose for it. Whether it helps us to be a victim, it helps us to remain helpless, it helps us to label ourselves as a villain, it helps us to label ourselves in a way that we are most comfortable with right now. I think, I think most people, like you said, Gary, don't know that they can put the backpack down. They don't know that they don't have to carry that anymore. And I think that a lot of people associate who they are with that backpack. So the idea of putting it down or letting it go 
is just as scary as the idea of continuing with it. So you're caught in that little paradox there and you're not sure how, if you don't have the awareness to realize that you don't have to carry it anymore and that there is another option and that you can start a whole new backpack <laughs> full yeah. of fun things, not heavy things that weigh you down. That, that's the big learning thing that I had when, when I started. It's kind of like asking the question, if I put this down, who am I going to be? I had a friend who had a tremendously good running career, was on sort of the upswing, great recognition, winning some significant events, doing really well, and then ran into, experienced an injury that actually ended her running career fast and for two years couldn't run. And there was about six weeks from when she stopped running until I saw her and we had communications. I was like, hey, like we could still get together without us actually going for a run. And there was always reasons why she wouldn't want to get together until finally said, I'm coming over today. We can have coffee and just hang out. And when I saw her, I was taken aback at the look of sort of depression and anxiety. She was, hadn't been sleeping well, none of that. And it was all because she was incapable in the moment of knowing who she was without having that part of her life, because it was a deep, part of how she identified and I imagine the emotional backpack is very similar to that when people are facing this let it go or carry it they're like well who would I be without it uh, that so resonates with me Teresa without a doubt and I think linked to that has been this element of really clarifying or stepping into my purpose and my values now that is language I would not have used even two years ago and I think that's been part of the big shift for me is actually going right okay so I always reference Brene Brown's work with this was around going, what are the two, not three, not four, not five, not 10. What are the two values that you will take a bullet for? And for me, that's growth and trust. So I am, instead of me getting lost on communication and collaboration, the other ones that do matter to me, but I wouldn't necessarily take a bullet for, it really helped me be crystal clear that actually I will not allow my personal values of growth and trust to be compromised. And that's allowed me to, in part as well, manage that backpack more effectively because the only things that go in that backpack are things that get served by those two values, mm. which makes it very, very light because you, you don't have to think about it. So I found that very, very powerful. The whole the values piece was really significant for me in such a way that it allowed me to just flow a lot more. So I'm much more of a flow state. I'm much more organic in my thinking and how I approach life now because I know I'm grounded in those values. Can you help our, our listeners? Because this values exercise is something that has come up a few times. And sometimes it's really hard for people to whittle it down to two. I just worked with a client last week and she had 17 on her list. And I asked her to try to get it to four. And she had a great argument for all of them. And so I said to her, like, you're going to still need to take this away and think about the ones that you cannot live without and look past look on your past and your life and consider which ones have come up time and time again for you as how you live. And also if people live in conflict to them, how you've like really had a sort of a emotional reaction to. So how did you figure out your two? You are so astute. The two points you just made are perfect. The one that helped me a lot is actually I've done some, so I laid on a, a summit called Have Courage earlier this year and I had a wonderful lady called Ross Savage join me. And she's in the Goodest Book of Records for single-handedly crossing the three world's largest oceans. And what she said to me as part of this summit was, imagine that you've got two paths. So one path is the life you're walking right now. You can visualize 30, 40 years ahead, and that's going to be how you'll be remembered. 
or there's a path you can choose to now navigate, what would that feel and look like for you? Now I did that work. And when I look at that path, the one I want to be remembered for, how I want people to talk about Gary when he's gone, it all came back to growth and trust. Everything is about leaving people feeling better than I encountered them, helping them grow, leaving my children in a high growth mindset. You know, everything was growth and trust. So I think I would recommend to your audience that they do that two obituaries exercise. The path you're walking now and the path you want to be walking is how you want to be remembered. Because I bet you'll, they will find very quickly that they will be able to narrow those values down based on how, how they feel and how they want to be remembered. I think I found that such a transformational exercise personally. Yeah, it's definitely very powerful. And um, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what, what does that path that you chose look like? You said the next 30, 40 years. I know you've, you're walking on it now and you know, perhaps you don't know where it finishes, but I guess you probably have a good idea of where the next five years are going. Yeah, for me, it's, I would summarize it is literally it's a path of service and i don't say that as a corny way of saying it it's a path of service versus a path of all about me my previous path was how do i get the job title how do i make more money how do i do x whereas now it's about how do i serve how do i leave people feeling better than i encountered them how do i help people grow how do i help people transform how do i create the safe space for them to be brilliant it's about them it's not about me and that is my summary shift and that's in collaboration, of course. That's not also just about me. It's about us together and collectively and as a big global community serving one another out of our own way and to the best versions of ourselves. And it can sound corny and cliche. I can imagine the CEOs going like, yeah, whatever, Gary, Theresa, Reese, this all sounds hokey. When I helped my sales team transform over three years and they increased sales by six million and gross margin by one and a half million in just three years by just transforming to this way of living and being, there's hard numbers behind this. And I just wanted to point that out to you. So I'm still working as well as my um, listing organization. I still have a, a corporate job where I'm running 20 million of sales um, every year. So I'm actually using these experiences and helping transform a global corporate from the inside out whilst trying to serve on the outside. And that's part of that path as well. Thank you for this as well. Sorry, I'm just coming up for me. So sorry, bear with me. You're creating the space, the safe space for me. What, what's really interesting, a few months ago, as recent as June, I was the person, like many of us, that wanted to get out of corporate because I was like, it's not going how I want it to be. It's misaligned with my values, back to that growth and trust piece. But something triggered for me in June of this year where I suddenly was really clear on those values because basically May, June, uh, April, I wasn't. I had these five or six values. As soon as I was really clear in June, it's growth and trust. I viewed my corporate job completely differently to how I viewed it the day before because the corporate job is still the corporate job. My values are my values. So like, I've got a choice about how I show up. I can't choose how the organization shows up. And like, that was huge as well. Sorry, I'll shut up now. You got me started. <laughs> oh, when we have our values and we know our purpose, our intention behind those values, then we get a life by design. When we have a life by design, the universe opens for us. I truly believe that. And it provides you every opportunity because your eyes are now open, you can see them. What, what kind of opportunities have opened for you since this journey? I'm actually spine tingling now as you ask that question. It's, it's, it's actually insane what's changed since June. So pre-June, I was pushing water up a hill, still being positive, but quite impulsive. And why won't we do this organization? Why don't you see this? Why don't you see that? So a little bit big to me, but pushy. As soon as this shift happened, I've now, we're now replicating that team project 
to the 400 million global business group within my work organization. We've run 12 virtual hackathons. We're engaged over 200 human beings in the process at customer service, in technical, in sales. It's the biggest cultural shift within four months that the organization's seen in the last 20 years. And it's all happened because we've lit the touch paper. Okay, I had courage, but it's not about me, but I was the one that said, hey, there's a better way. But there's now this movement of energy that's starting to expand. And I've now got eight projects within my work organization that are all running concurrently. L&D over here, OD, culture there, lunch and learn in Canada. And these are all little iterations that are happening, but it's happening because I'm not having to push now because I'm coming from a place of values and purpose. And you're totally right. The universe is just going, now it's not about you, Gary. There's your playground, mate. Whereas before, it's all about me. So it's like, okay, there's your little square on the side of the football pitch. Go over there. But as soon as it became about everybody else and not just me, literally, it's like it's literally like somebody just went, Ta-da! there's this massive universe out there. Like, I, I can't explain how what you said is so real and true. This is, this is beyond law of attraction stuff. This mm-hmm. is how it works. It's energy. It's, it's quantum. It really is. And, and before I've heard you talk about you know, the values, the purpose, and you've also talked about your superpowers. And, and that's something that maybe has helped like that touch paper, as you said, in, in your work environment. Is that something that you can share with us as well? I always find this a difficult thing to talk about because I, I think it's a bit like trust that people give us our superpowers in a way that they recognize them in us or that we've got an idea. We're aware enough to know what they are. I believe mine are courage and vulnerability. So I've got the courage, very, and they're sort of two sides of the same coin. But I think my ability to communicate, speak from the heart about anything and make it safe for others to do the same whilst building courage and capacity in other humans to step into their greatness. They're the sort of two things I would say are my superpowers of courage and vulnerability. They're the two that come up the most for me. I love this sort of description that other people sort of create the environment for you to use them. Because when I think of, when you said that, I thought of a superhero. When do they use their superpowers? Superman doesn't just fly fly around for the sake of flying around. He only does it when someone's in trouble and he needs to get there in a hurry, right? Otherwise he takes his car or he walks. So it's kind of really it's kind of really interesting to consider this viewpoint of superpowers. We turn them on when other people are in need. I love that. It's beautiful, actually. It's sort of interesting because it's a funny sort of paradox, isn't it? Because you've got on the one hand, we've clearly got, as you described, an inside-out experience. We project our energy. We project our vulnerability. We project our courage. In my case. But at the same time, yes, I do also believe there's a push-pull element to that. And that I wonder if the environment requests it or if we project it and the environment then sort of answers that call from within us. I don't know. It's it's probably a bit of a push-pull, but it's a really interesting thing to explore. Mm -hmm. There's There's definitely a lot going on there for sure. And I'd love for us to explore that more, actually. It's really interesting. Yeah, because I think when we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about a strength. Whereas when we're talking about someone else, we talk about a superpower because, as you said, the superpower isn't to empower ourselves, isn't make us better, it makes other people better. And it's from understanding that superpower and seeing that change in other people that you can connect with it and, and, and focus on that. Whereas I think if it's just from yourself, you just think, oh, this is my strength, this is good, this helps me. But your superpower helps everyone or more people than you. 
That's that's amazing, Reese. Wow. Teresa Reese, that is a real revelation for me on this conversation. You're right. No, I love that. Mm. Yeah, I love that idea that I see my superpowers as strengths because they are just innate. Mm -hmm. But the outside world sees them as something more transformational. And they might draw on that. that. That's a really powerful, that's a really important actually distinction, I think. Yes, I agree with that in that oftentimes our community relies on us for permission. And so when we step fully into those things that we're defining as whatever, values, strengths, superpowers, when other people see it, they are inspired by it. Reminds me of my, I think it's Maya Angelou, could be Toni Morrison's poem. One of them wrote a really great poem. <laughs> and it talks about uh, who am I to let my light shine? Who am I to you know, show up with all of my talents into the world? I'm paraphrasing here. These are not the actual words. When <laughs> others would potentially like for us to be suppressed because that's how they feel in reality. They don't want us to be like that. They may in moments like bullying do it because they're really seeking for connection to you. And when they don't feel like they have any value, the only way to connect with you is to treat you poorly so you can feel like they feel. There's an interesting dynamic with bullying, I believe. If they are so distraught, and we're hardwired to connect. If they don't know what happiness and joy feels like, they can't elevate to your light. They don't know how to do that. So the only way a bully can connect with you is to tear you down to what they're experiencing and get you to feel it. And now all of a sudden you can connect with them, or at least that's the psychological thought process behind it. It's not the right way to go about it by any means necessary, but if we're hardwired to connect with someone and I cannot elevate to joy, Maybe the only way I can see it to be successful is to bring you down to pain. It's really interesting. Something that's coming up, I've not shared this with anybody else recently, actually, Teresa, is that I actually had a look from curiosity at the, the guy that bullied me 30 years ago. I looked at his LinkedIn profile about a month ago, mm. and purely from a place of curiosity. When I saw the face and I saw the body, I was like, why am I? Why am I actually looking? What am I? What do I want to get out of looking at his profile? And he's in Singapore now. He's running a business over there. What it was is I was doing a little bit of reading around forgiveness. And I think part of what you're speaking to for me, Teresa, is rather than trying to wait for someone else to come up to your joy or to wait for someone else to get out of their victim mindset, how can we give them forgiveness? They don't need to know about it, but how do we inside offer forgiveness like I did that moment I looked at his screen and that just felt really empowering just to go like I don't hate you like you must have had so much going on in your world to wanted to hit me and to beat me up you must have been hurting so bad and I can really come from that place now but I don't think I could have done a couple of years ago mm -hmm. yeah I've read similar things about the importance of, of forgiveness obviously gratitude is one of the most important things but on, on the flip side of that forgiveness has that same sort of empowering uh, notion yes you can confront them and do it from there and maybe it would be super interesting if you did actually speak to this person and, and see how much that really changed i think forgiveness piece is important but when you're talking about from the superpowers bit before with the joy and coming down to their level the other thing you can do is to inspire them to come up to your level by modeling the behavior that you want so we can tie into leadership and tie into all these other little things you're modeling those superpowers and it doesn't have to be you know anything grandeur it doesn't have to be you know superman like it's just showing them 
a way or a stepping stone to to change that mind shift or mindset sorry i want to ask about the listening project before we run out of time because we had a very interesting chat with uh, someone you probably know oscar Trimboli about the importance of listening and it's pretty much changed both of our uh, both of our minds hugely <laughs> we both can't stop talking about it we both can't stop quoting him promoting him and uh, telling everyone to to get on board so i would love to know a bit about listening organization is to be honest it's it's it's, it's an evolution there's something again as part of my journey i think without me even realizing when i set up the listening organization 12 months ago it was about creating that safe space and allowing people to not only listen to others, but to listen to themselves, which is what I didn't do enough in the past. So what does that look like? There's two, there's three main strands to the listening organization. So one is human centered organizational design. So what I'm talking about there is going in and running workshops and really leading through listening, curiosity, purpose and values, mindset, you know, inclusion's a big passion of mine as well. Hence with the white guy that was bullied, we also get excluded. So, you know, I've got a big passion around those really deeply human areas. And so that's one element. That's one string to the bow is trying to use those deeply human areas, but in a more facilitated environment to allow people to step into that conversation safely. Um, another bit, I do a lot of keynote talks as well around vulnerabilities of strength. You won't be surprised. Um, also interdepartmental partnerships. And I also developed a product called Our Safe House, which is basically a, an external retreat, a two day deep dive into those different human centered areas. So take a leadership team out out into the woods down in Dorset in the UK and just get them to go deep in those different human centered areas. So that's where it is at the moment. It's very organic, might be something else tomorrow, might not be. But I just think for me, all it is, the listening part is really comes from, I didn't listen to myself enough and therefore I lacked the ability to deeply listen actively to others. And I think the reason it's not one of my superpowers is because I'm still learning it. Like courage and vulnerability definitely are superpowers, but listening I want to be. This is interesting. Do you think, actually, Theresa, do you think you can develop superpowers or are they just innate? I'm wondering on your thoughts on that. I think you probably have natural superpowers that if you've spent time strengthening, off the charts, amazing. And likely there are some that you can develop a little bit, kind of like your personality, perhaps a standard deviation towards natural talent in them. I 100% believe that you can strengthen them. Yeah, I think, you know, like we talk about emotional intelligence being a skill that you can learn. I think that all these superpowers, yes, there needs to be something in, in there innately that connects you to them. But like you're saying here, I mean, I also would like and hope that listening is one of my superpowers. But or I, I naively believe that until we had our interview <laughs> with Oscar. Um, <laughs> and so now I've, yeah, I've been in the same boat as you and I've been drastically trying to, to learn as much as I can about it. But yeah, I, I have to believe that because if you don't believe that you can learn it, then what, what, is, what is the point? For me, learning is one of my core values and, and making a difference is the other one. So these are the things that I'm resonating with more and more every day and doing this, meeting people like this, it's just to help crystallize that and you know, lead me to pursue those just as you did 12 months ago. So we're on the same journey. Some of us are at different points, but we can all reach back and, and and look forward and then help one another get there. Gary, what is your favorite technique or way of holding space for another person? Wow, what a great question. It's a really great question. I've never thought about it. My way of doing it is, whether it be virtually or in person, 
there's something I really enjoyed doing as a precursor to holding space. And that's offering or inviting people to leave their job title outside of the next conversation. Do we agree for the next 30 minutes, two hours, three days, that we are all just human beings without names? Can we all agree that and literally get people to throw the hat, the job title, whatever it feels like, let them to do a physical motion out the room. And you can literally just feel everybody's like anxiety just disappear out of the room. It just go, it's one of the most powerful things. I'm not sure if that really answers your question or not, but that's certainly. It that's does. Just... And I'm totally going to steal it and use it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, it's, it, it's funny because they say it's a lovely term holding space and it's sort of, it's, it's in some ways it's active, but almost some ways it's not, you know, for me, there's just something around just being together and just allowing people to drop into that space with just that little signal, that little invitation of something, whatever that means to, to you as a facilitator. Mm -hmm. It's hashtag yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. I'll toss it up on screen. Hashtag, hashtag not anymore. So we can't not pay attention to the signals that we're burning ourselves out. We're sleepwalking. We're carrying a heavy backpack. We can't not pay attention to the need for safe spaces for people to be able to be vulnerable so they can release whatever is holding them back from their fullest potential. So to help our listeners start to strive, Gary, in your experience, your expertise, even your own journey, what would you recommend for people be the first thing they can start doing today to step one step further forward? I would recommend, I think one of the biggest shifts for me has been community. Review your current network. What I mean by that is who are the five people you spend the most time with and are you serving them or are they serving you? Now I'm not on about culling people necessarily, but become mindful and intentional about where you spend your time and energy. Mm. I think we can all do that in the next five minutes and it might be painful because I've gone through it. I've got, I've still got great friends. They are great friends from many years ago, but they're not where I spend most of my time. I can still pick the phone up to them. They can still pick the phone up to me anytime, but I do not spend anywhere near as much time there as I used to. Why? Because I can't serve them and they can't serve me as part of that path that I'm now walking on. We're there as friends. We need to be really intentional about that limited energy ball that we have. Um, so I think that would be my, my primary recommendation, Teresa. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, your experiences, your passion, your breakthroughs. We love when people have breakthroughs within the conversation itself. Yeah. I had a couple myself, looked like Reese had a few as well. So we have some things that we get to do now so we can all start being a little bit better, challenging ourselves to be better as well. So if our listeners would like to connect with you, there's a few ways they can get in touch with you, Gary. One is LinkedIn, of course, Gary Turner, two R's in the Gary. Also two in the Turner, but not together. <laughs> I've never thought of that, Teresa. Told you. <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter, Gary Turner Zero. A website, thelisteningorganization.co.uk. Your podcast is called Value Vulnerability. And Gary, can you also tell us about the May 2020 Humans First Retreat experience that's coming up? I hope so. And I hope you're both going to be there. That would be amazing. So following our mutual friend, Mike McCanty and this whole movement of Humans First, we, we actually ran or I ran an event called Natural HR earlier this year in the UK and we had around 45 change makers. This is way before I even realized Humans First as a movement was a thing. And what Mike and I decided a, a couple of months ago was, hang on, 
there's all this energy you know you you two great people you know humans first our own virtue our own networks what could it be like if we created a space this safe space again for two days to deep dive into these sorts of very conversations that you facilitated brilliantly this evening what could it look like to have a practice ground what are, the, what are some of the ways we can communicate to help people step into their courage or their vulnerability? Or how do we help a senior leader that really does want to be more inclusive, learn from other people that have gone on that journey, how to become more inclusive? So it's going to be a really delegate led. So it's not going to be sage on the stage at all. It's going to be working on different breakout sessions based on what the delegates want to work on. But it will be facilitated by a range of people with different levels of experience and different um, experience in their own life. And it's just going to be a real deep dive into what it means to be human in the 21st century, which we're, we're, we're running towards. As Mike would say, it's funny because we're not, I'm not going to sit here with you now and go, we're going to do X on day one, X on right. day two. We're right. going to go to day. <laughs> but it's going to be very, very organic. But the really important point, Teresa, is that it's crazily accessible. It's £75 sterling per day. And that's just to cover costs and then to basically fund a donation for the Monkey World Estate um on which we're borrowing the facility so it's it's crazily accessible on a deliberate basis because we believe mike and all of us on this this conversation we believe more people need to be involved in this conversation and if we're charging eight hundred thousand pound a ticket we're going to have the wrong people in the room so so that, that, that's really a summary hopefully that's helpful yes it does thank you so that was brilliant and i loved it and we are now getting to the most difficult part, it's proving, of the conversation is the rapid fire Q&A <laughs> with each of our guests. It is fairly straightforward, although maybe not as simple as we assumed it may have been. 10 statements, two choices. You just need to pick a choice, however you would like to interpret it. Let's, Are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Number one, manager or leader? Leader. Active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray? Ooh. More gray, gray. Optimist or realist? Optimist. Canada or England? Canada. Heart or head? Heart. Empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Logical or emotional? Emotional. Innovation or process? Innovation. Okay, you get the first prize ribbon for being the best, hands down, to be able to answer these questions the snap of a fingers. Nicely done. Two things. Firstly, I'm still reeling from the England-Canada yeah. question. <laughs> Secondly, I'd love to know what your answers would have been six months ago, 12 months ago, three years ago. I'm betting a lot of those answers would have been different from this, especially the, the, the way you answered them so quickly, so forthrightly. That's a really great reflection, a great question, Rich. So firstly, let me cover the Canada question that you had. I proposed to my gorgeous wife, Jackie, at Niagara Falls in Canada. So that's why it's hands down. No, no convincing me, sorry, Rich, Canada. And um, on the other, the other question, which is brilliant, is I think that I probably would have, two or three years ago, answered very differently based on the socialized thinking that I had at that time. I believe that the answer I gave you intuitively and very easily just now is what's always been within me, but I just couldn't see it in the past. Mm. Cool, yeah. Oh. 
Thank you to our listeners for being part of this episode of TNT ESQ. Yes. Well, you've exploded my ESQ, TNT, whatever you called yourself. So it's uh, amazing. <laughs> I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for giving me the space to have this conversation with both of you because I've grown through it without a doubt. And I've got some great reflections. Thank you. Lovely. Brilliant. That's always our aim. Thank you so much, Gary. Really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of TNT ESQ with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co-host, Reese Thomas. It was a pleasure having you stop in and listen. Until next time, keep challenging the status quo.